0: Them deny them, whatever, uh, not express them. Uh, the psalmist just gets it out right, right out in front of us. Uh, Claus Westerman, uh, uh, one of the experts in laments, uh, says that lamentation was the chief component of prayers in the Old Testament. And um, who lamented in the Old Testament? Uh, Moses, Samson, Elijah, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He wrote one whole book on lamentations. Job. Oh my goodness. Uh, Habakkuk, uh, King David, as we're going to look at. And and in the New Testament, we come uh, to the Lord Jesus, and we will come back to that at the end. So all these various types of psalms, the most common by far is psalms of lament, both individual and communal. Last time Jaime uh, brought to us Psalm 126, which was a communal uh, psalm of lament. All right, so the general elements, I want you to look as I read. I want you to look for the introductory appeal, which is just crying, Oh, Lord. Uh, uh, the lament itself is this complaint to God. Then a confession of trust, a petition to God, which includes kind of strong imperatives. Save, rescue, answer. Uh, and, and then a shout of praise or a vow of praise at the end. And these, this can kind of take different uh, order. But this is uh, the general order Are various components of um, Psalms of lament, okay? So we're going to start with point one, and I want you to follow along as I read from God's Word, Psalm 13. For the choir director, a psalm of David. That's all it says. We aren't given any background there. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Six verses. And what a change of tone from the beginning to the end. Um, I looked up uh, the word desolation, and and Webster says extreme sadness caused by loss or loneliness. Okay, that's what, that's what we have in this first section. It's very very easily uh, divided, uh, as you can see in verses verses one and two, the cry of desolation, uh, three and four. This this bold, confident petition. And then 5 and 6 is this joyful resolution or consolation, whatever you want to say there, um, uh, confession. Uh, that's, that's kind of the direction that we're, we're going. Okay, So Psalm 13 is a psalm of David sung by the congregation in which uh, we, we know very little about. The background is unknown, which means that we can place ourselves in this uh, there's nothing that, you know, sometimes it says that he was, uh, we we read before worship today, uh, um, Psalm 34, uh, where he was pretending he was insane before Abimelech, uh, King David was. Uh, and so he was pretending he was, um, yeah, he'd lost his mind. and um, And that was the setting of that. There's no setting to this one, okay? But it may very well be composed while he was running for his life from King Saul. Now, I want you to think about this. In in 1 Samuel 16, David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king elect, okay, after Saul. Then in chapter 17, David killed Goliath, the the big showdown, and and God was victorious um, over the Philistine. And then... From 17 to the end of 1 Samuel, like chapter 30, 31 is when Saul dies. Over 12 years, David is running from a madman. The guy's lost his mind. He is so jealous. All he can think of is, I got to kill David. He's going to take over my throne. Sometimes he'd kind of. Forget about it for a second. And David had every opportunity of killing him two different times. But I want us to think of over 12 years dealing with someone who's hunting you, haunting you. How long, oh Lord? That's the appeal. Lord, How long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all day, literally day day and night? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? David begins his desperate cry or lament as a complaint. Five questions, for how longs. Job, um, we see these how longs. Job said, Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Psalm 89 How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Will, will your wrath burn like fire? Where, where are your former loving kindnesses, O Lord, which you swore to David, in your faithfulness? So, l- laments are all throughout. The song, uh, throughout the Psalms, throughout the Old Testament. If you read a prayer in the Old Testament, often it is a lament, complaining to God. Here's David's lament. First, seemingly abandoned and alone. Forgotten. Forsaken. If God would hide His face from us, it's like, they're hopeless, <laughs> hopelessness. This is poem. This is a poem, and and so what does what does he mean? Hide his face from us? Does God have a face? Obviously, this is referring to um, isolation from God. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? There was a time uh, that my sister my sister lives in Denver, and she was flying out here uh, to surprise... And I don't remember, it was when my father was living with us. We were living in a home together, my elderly father. And uh, so she wanted to come out, and I think it was to surprise him for something. But Lydia went and picked her up at the airport. She comes to our house, and uh, and she was kind of surprising Jenny too, I think, as I recall. And, and so she comes in and sits down at our kitchen table in our house, my sister. And Jenny was off somewhere... And my sister picks up a newspaper and holds it in front of her face, and I'm sitting at the table too. And Jenny literally uh, is kind of scurrying around, doing different things. Doesn't even see Doesn't even see her. And my sister's getting real impatient, and so she finally just says, "What am I? Invisible here?" And all of a sudden, she pulls the paper down, and there there she is. Uh, and and Jenny is, "Oh my goodness." Well, listen, the psalmist. Is saying to God, "What am I? Invisible here? What in the world? How long is this going to take? Have you hid your face from me forever?" What? And and so he's just crying out. And maybe you can identify with something that just keeps going on and on and on. They say time flies when you're having fun, right? But but. How about when you're in the depths of despair? It moves so slowly. Spurgeon said, a week within the prison walls is longer than a month of liberty. A week within the prison walls is longer than a month at liberty. Secondly, in verse 2, His sorrow and his being slandered. Now it seems like it's starting to mess with him. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? Or take counsel means to to begin to plan, to, to maybe take things into my own hands. Okay, so you're hiding from me, you're forsaking me, you're forgetting about me, and so I am going to take counsel in my soul And so he starts to try to figure things out himself. And what a dead end that is. Um, And then he says, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? So to add insult to injury, it's like how he's feeling, despondent, depressed, totally despairing. And then there's the enemy, whether that be Saul or whoever this is in his life. uh, you, you You have them. Um, they are, how long are they going to exalt over me? All right. Uh, Alistair, Al, Alistair Begg says, Ruminating on trouble is a bitter work. There are certain things that are better to swallow than to chew on. The sound of the laughter of his enemies is louder in his ear than the providence and the kindness of God. That's the key. And I say seemingly abandoned and alone. Seemingly. Because this is how he's feeling. This is full of emotion. Now, um, before we move to point two, let me point out that the statistics on depression are staggering. Literally staggering. 300 million people around the world suffer from depression. I don't know how they figured that out. Uh, world health organization Uh, 17.3 million in the u.s so 7.1 percent of all adults are struggling and get this 11 million u.s adults have experienced an episode in the past year that resulted in severe impairment and and anxiety issues obviously are even higher and and so if anxiety issues lead to depression they're all wrapped together um sleep issues. Uh, sometimes you sleep all day. Sometimes you can't really sleep. Then your appetite changes, your weight changes, decrease, de- decreased energy or fatigue, uh, difficult concentrating, difficulty, irritability, lack of motivation. You just, uh, I mean, I've been here. I, I, I know what this is like. Uh, and you probably, some of you can relate to this, recurrent thoughts of death, suicide. And I can't say by God's grace that that I experienced that, but but I, I can identify with these feelings. And maybe you can. Or maybe you can't. But the prevalence of lament psalms should communicate something to us as God's people that this is where we live in a broken world. And if we're not there, someone else is there, right? Uh, I can remember one preacher saying, we're either high-fiving someone coming into a trial or we're high-fiving somebody going out of a trial. But it's, it's like <laughs> we, we can meet each other because there's going to be times in our life when we feel this, all right? And, um, and so, in Isaiah 49, listen to these words. Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. The Lord says, wait, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. And get this, behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me, the lord says i have I have tattooed you on my hand and my wrists. I will never forget you never this is god 's word and and so i we cannot deny the feelings that anyone can experience. David, a man after god 's own heart is here, but uh let 's go To point two now, as we see in verses three and four, his petition, a very confident petition. Consider, these are these imperatives, consider and answer me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. Remember, we often said that in these petitions, there's kind of a a motif or a a motivation. It's like, Lord, you better consider and answer me, you better enlighten my eyes, or I'm going to die. I am feeling close to death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my adversaries will rejoice when I'm shaken. So what about them? So in his despondency and depression, David boldly prays and addresses God as the Lord my God. Spurgeon says, we may lose our gourds, but not our God. (laughs) We may lose our gourds, but not our God, never consider and answer me what a what a bold petition He's basically saying, "Open your eyes, look at me. Consider and implies, look at me, look upon me, and open my eyes. The word enlightened means to cause to shine. Help me, Lord. To see you. What a great petition in the midst of his depression. Dalich says, To lighten the eyes that are dimmed with sorrow and ready to break is equivalent to impart new life, which is reflected in a fresh, clear brightness of the eyes. So let's look at these. Here's the laments. Will you forget me? Will you hide your face from me? Look at me. Don't hide your face from me. Look at me. Shall I take counsel in my soul Find, uh, having sorrow in my heart and so it's like the it's like the petitions match the laments in some ways. Help me to see you. I can't figure this out myself. What is your plan? Remind me of who you are. And then this correlation between How long will my enemy be exalted over me? In verse 2, that in verse 4 he said, And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. All right? So uh, Ron Allen says, I believe that David is suggesting that the problem of forgetting God is our problem, our view of him. It's in our view of him. We need to have our eyes refocused on the character of God. The spiritual cataracts must be removed. No more fitting image could David have used than this one. In those times when we feel that God is forgetting us, we need to pray for a new view of Him. And so what's the bridge between the loneliness in verses 1 and 2, despair, sorrow, and this uh, trust and worship that we're going to see in verses 5 and 6, it's this honest prayer, this bold and honest prayer or petition to God, all right? And so let's let's look at it as we close. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall. I have trusted, okay? It's like past. It's like this is what I have done. I shall. Future, rejoice in your salvation. I future, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. That's why I called it a, a confession or a resolution. Um, verse five be, opens with "But I," and marks this significant change of tone in the song. Um, notice that nothing in his circumstances have changed. I mean, we are not made aware of anything. I, I don't know how long this took to read, how long this took to pray uh, or to sing, but um, this, this has radically changed. He, he, now, um, he now has a new perspective on God, his steadfast love. Look at it. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation, and I will sing the Lord because he has the NIV says because he has been good to me so the Lord's goodness his generosity um, all right so um, Psalms of lament start with a plea and they lead to praise it may seem like the Lord has abandoned you but you can trust in his steadfast love and rejoice in his salvation. You can. It may seem it may seem like the Lord has abandoned you. But you can trust in his unfailing love and rejoice in his salvation. I don't care how low you are. I don't care how your perspective has been so warped by how you feel. You and I can trust in the unfailing, steadfast love of God and rejoice in His salvation. This is something we can do. David is saying this to all of us. This is something we can do. This is how we feel. But this is what we know. This is what we know. So, have you trusted in God's unfailing love displayed through Jesus Christ on the cross? You ask, where is the gospel here in this? Where is Jesus in this? Listen, Jesus could write this psalm. The greater David is all over this psalm. I take you to the Garden of Gethsemane as Pastor Brent and Pastor Scott and I were able to visit one year ago. And I tell you, it was the most moving spot, I think. I could have spent all day. I would have loved to have spent a night there to see it in the dark. Because, listen to the account in Matthew's gospel. Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane, the olive press, and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and began to be grieved and distressed. I don't think we have any idea what is loaded in those words, grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. What if I sleep the sleep of death? Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them. And he fell on his face. I don't know where. I don't know where he would have been in this garden. And he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. You want to talk about aloneness? And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass from me unless I drink it, Your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And then he came to his disciples and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, for the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. And let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And you know, Judas betrays him with a kiss, his his own friend. I I can't even begin to imagine Jesus' feeling of desolation. Alone. Suffering alone. Alone. Even his closest friend, his disciples, were not there for him. Goes through a mock trial, whatever. They just trump up charges against him. Crucify him. And so he's on the cross. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Laban, sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was quoting King David in another lament psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Jesus is lamenting. He is is feeling everything David is feeling in Psalm 13 and Psalm 22. And I want to say that if there is anyone that is despairing, that is at the end of themselves and hopeless, wondering, how can I ever go on? You must know today that Jesus Christ, God's Son, fully God, fully man, came to this earth, perfectly obeyed the law of God, perfect obedience, He learned obedience, Hebrews says, from the things he suffered. And he went to the cross to pay for your sin and mine. And on that cross, he was completely isolated from God the Father. I I think that that was what caused him to sweat like drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. That, the thought of bearing the sin of all of those who would trust in him so that he could be separated from the Father and bear the wrath of God for me in my place so that I could be drawn near to God and have a right relationship with God. That is is totally amazing. Have you trusted in this Lord Jesus Christ alone for your salvation (laughs) He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And if you're part of the many, in the midst of your despair, you must remember the Lord Jesus Christ and what it cost Him for my salvation and rejoice in that. Where is the gospel? Listen. We need to wrap the gospel around every grief. We need to wrap the gospel around every point in our life when we are despairing. Wrap the gospel. One of my favorite foods is, I like it. I don't eat it that often, but it's a little pickle that is wrapped in cream cheese, And has dried beef wrapped around it and sliced beautifully, and and it is like, "Mm." or or a pork loin that uh, has bacon strips around it and all kinds of things inside of it with kind of the the uh, butcher wrap you know twine around it. Oh my goodness! Uh, Listen, listen to me. We need to wrap the gospel. Around every grief we experience. If you don't, you may die the sleep of death. Can you die of a broken heart? I think you can. I think you can. If you do not wrap the gospel around your grief, you will have nothing to offer a brother or sister in the midst of their grief. Nothing. And the church puts on a facade of everything is okay. I have no problems in my life. And you're lying. You're lying. And so everybody else goes on grieving, despairing, and you have nothing to offer them because they don't dare approach you because you don't have any problems. Do you, see, do you see how this weakens the church? What is your usual response in times of depression? What's your default setting? Self-pity? Continuing to just wallow in your lament instead of moving to a bold petition and this incredible confession of trust. Consider and answer me, O Lord. Look at me. Okay, yeah, I know you are. Help me see you for who you are. Open my eyes. Give me a fresh new perspective on who you are. John Piper says, Mental health is in great measure the gift of self-forgetfulness. That's powerful. Mental health, in its core form, in great measure, is the gift, the gift of self forgetfulness. If, if I could forget myself, and if I could plug God and His unfailing love and His amazing grace in saving me. In his bountiful goodness, I've just got myself down the road further and my circumstances haven't changed a bit. Do you see how this works? This is how the laments are so strong for us. John Bloom says, The canonical songbook is full of raw poetry, more raw and blunt than many of us are, even when confiding our pain to a trusted friend. The people of Israel, and these were congregational songs. The people of Israel were to sing them together. And from this, we are to hear from God listen, that He knows our waiting for Him can be hard. How long? He knows it can feel to us. Jesus knows how you feel. He knows it can feel to us like He is taking too long. He gives us permission to ask Him, how long is this going to last? And He reminds us that when we feel like He's forgotten us, it's an experience common to all of His faith children, common enough to warrant singing about it. And as we pray or sing such psalms, they remind us that God, in fact, has not forgotten us, that what we feel is... Isn't always real. That what we feel isn't always real. Can I say that one more time? That what we feel is not always real and that God's promises are truer than our perceptions. That is powerful. God's promises concerning His steadfast love, His covenant love, His salvation through Jesus Christ. His, I mean, if He did not spare His own Son... What do you think he'll withhold from you? (laughs) If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, listen, do you know how much your heavenly father longs to give to you? What is most valuable? Don't ever doubt his goodness. Yes, we will feel this way. We can petition him. But we must move to a place of trust and faith-filled worship and praise. This is so important. What attribute of God can you cling to at that time of trouble? His steadfast love, His amazing grace. I love how the song said it earlier: His unfailing love. That that's good. Same same thing. Like I said, chesed is a hard word to even translate. Loving kindness, steadfast love, loyal love, unfailing love, mercy, grace, patience, all wrapped up in this one word that's almost untranslatable. And this is what he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. Could we say this first line together? But I have trusted in... In your steadfast love. Say that again. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. How about using that as a chant. A prayer chant. When you are feeling discouraged. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. Whatever you need to remind you of that a song, a hymn, um, a, a psalm. I've trusted in your steadfast love. Someone you know is depressed. Someone you know is feeling very hopeless and alone. What is your default setting when you go into the pits of despair? When you feel no one loves me. Everyone's left me alone. It could be a student um, with friends that have let them down, kind of gone on into another little uh, couplet or uh, triad, whatever, and, and you are left to yourself. It could be an adult who all their life has struggled with people choosing other friends above them. It could be that you just let go, you got let go from a job and you feel so depressed like you have nothing to offer. It could be that you can't find your fit in a ministry in the church. Whatever. I just guess I won't serve. Listen, let the lament of Psalm 13 speak into your soul. Let King David, a man after God's own heart, order your emotions and your feelings to move from lament to petition, to trust, to praise. Let that be our pattern in our prayer life, in our singing. Worship team, you come, and as you come. Um, so I shared last time about a period of time when, when uh, we were in the depths of despair, the dark night of the soul. And uh, I can remember it like it was yesterday. And, um, and by the grace of God, and I mean the grace of God, this congregation ministered to us in our pain. And if you think this congregation isn't called Grace Church for a reason, it is called Grace Church because if no other reason one of the pastors has experienced great grace through this church, okay? And um they allowed us to take an extended sabbatical and get some intense counseling and and uh and seek out some help, outside help. I I I got some medication that helped me as well and I I just want you to know that if, uh, if uh, struggling with a neurological disorder, if the chemicals in your brain are messed up, listen, don't be so stinking proud that you can't go to a doctor and get some help because there's some medications that can help you, okay? I can speak for myself. Now listen, in this period of time, I, they said, go, go worship other places or whatever. And so sometimes Jenny would just feel so flatlined that she'd stay at home. But I went to the Ferguson Bible Church and Pastor Darren and that dear congregation. Um, I, I knew a number of the people, so I'd, I'd walk in and they'd greet me. Uh, I didn't feel much like talking to anybody, but I'd walk in and I'd kind of sit. I, I can remember almost exactly where I sat in the church. And uh, they sang some hymns, and then Pete Drury began to lead in worship. And I was kind of, I mean, th- they were very warm, but, but I was kind of sitting by myself, standing by myself, and in that moment of singing, tears just started just rolling down my cheeks. And I was, I was thinking, I don't want anybody to see me do this. I don't want that. And, um, but I could not control the fact they were singing about the grace of God, his amazing grace, his unfailing love. I, I think it may have even been that song that we started with. It doesn't matter the song, but when you sing about these attributes of God, the, the character of God, how he has worked through his son Jesus Christ and you wrap the gospel truth around your grief, it lifts you out of the pit of despair. I tell you, it lifts you out. It puts your feet on like a solid rock and it makes your footsteps firm. It's like he puts a... A new song in your heart. A song of praise to our God. And as he does that, many will see and will fear and will put their trust in God. That's Psalm 40. That's Psalm 40. Spend some time in the psalmist this week. Take a hymnal with you if you need a hymnal look at look at how god's character is so powerfully displayed in songs in scripture. yeah and I'll leave you with this A uh, 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 dear friend of of, um, of Jenny and i and, and of her uh, in our church that uh, sent just just unknowingly sent a uh, a little YouTube video of Michael W. Smith, the song Surrounded. Just sent it. And uh, Jenny was was listening to it and thought, oh my goodness, I have individuals that, that I think could use this, could hear this. And so she just kind of sent a mass text and forwarded it on. Simple, easy, didn't take any time, and you wouldn't believe the text message responses that she got. When you think that you're surrounded, you are surrounded by me, God says. I'm going to fight my battles with this in mind, that when I think I'm surrounded, I am surrounded by God. That's all the song is. Listen to it. All right, I'm done. Sorry, I I just went on. Um, It's a long sermon, and I just got longer. But let's stand, and let's lift our voices in praise to this incredible God that meets us in our depths.